Hey folks, for this episode of the show, we have got Marty Stone on. As you know, when Marty and I talk together, we can talk for a long time. Um, For this episode of the show, we hit a whole bunch of stuff. We talk about some AOI stuff, uh, some BPT things, um, a little bit of format talk, obviously. And then we kind of touch on his coaching adventures or coaching ventures uh let's say and also like sort of the quality of competition i mean we dove into some kind of old bassmaster stats and you know had some fun with that too so anyway i think it's a pretty good show and uh here it is all righty and we are joined now by marty stone uh gonna be a coach he's also a uh, mlf analyst does more Probably talks more about live fishing than, I mean, almost anyone. Um, Marty, thanks for coming on, man. Jody, I'm always excited to hang out with you, and, and I appreciate it, and I look forward to this opportunity. It's been a while since I've got to stretch out the vocal cords and talk a little bit about fishing. I'm kind of missing it right now. Yes, tell me what your off-season has been like, because you're not going to these Team Series events, right? You've been, like, working on house stuff and moving and things like that, right? Man, it's been a different off-season. So this was the first time since 2010 that I have not traveled with the guys on the Cup Series. Um, I was a part of the pilot series we did for the team event. But when we looked at how to produce this thing, we felt like there was going to be so much content with the guys bantering back and forth and being able to communicate that we just kind of left me out of this thing a little bit. So my boss gave me some time off in the fall. We've talked a couple times during this. Don't know if it's going to happen again next year. I've told him the whole time I'm a text and phone call away. And it's been kind of weird not being out on the water with them. But you're right. I ended up, uh, my wife and I ended up building a house up here at Kerr Lake. And the minute we got through with the last Bass Pro Tour event, uh, we started moving up here. I would say really in the last week or so, we finally are settled in a little bit. Hope I never build and hope I never move again. And then uh, also launched the MJS Academy, something I've had in the back of my mind and actually had built for over five years. And we'll dive into that a little bit later. That's probably the least important thing. But I have kept my fall busy. And I even, this is going to shock you, managed the day on the water. It was the first time that I have spent a day on the water since October of 2021. Marty, that really just hurts me inside. I don't, I don't know how I would deal with that. <laughs> I didn't handle it very well. It was my own fault. Uh, uh, we sold a boat in October 21. The dealership I work with, who is so generous to me, is English Choice out of Martinsville Marina. They provide me a boat every year. They beg me not to sell it, but there's a gentleman that had an event coming up. We felt like we might get me one in June or July. It was September by it showed up. But the truth be told, with me building this house and everything that I was doing with Major League Fishing, I, didn't, I wouldn't have had time even if I had one. But it showed up in September. I've got a beautiful 520 Ranger sitting out in the driveway right now that's got all of 2.8 hours on it. And my, my promise to them was I would not sell this one until I got another one in. And hopefully 
this one has at least 50 hours on it when I do let it go. All right. Well, yeah, you're not even done with break-in yet. I mean, you've got some work to do. <laughs> I really do. But that's that's Thanksgiving week. I'm going to get in there and get some seat time and ride around the lake. And it's just, and man, and I feel like I'm behind. With I've got a boat that's got four Lawrence 12 HDSs on it. I've got more TVs than I had when I was in college. So I, I've got to catch up with the times a little bit. Yeah, I'll be, we'll talk about this a little bit later and with your academy type stuff. I'm, I am going to be curious to see what you learn from some of these folks and what you learn when you dive back into this, because you can learn a lot watching, which you have, but you can also learn a lot by doing, and Man, you're I, about you, to fish a lot more. This. Oh yeah, and I just, uh, just past weekend, I had a young gentleman from South Carolina in the boat with me, 17-year-old accomplished high school angler. I was amazed, absolutely amazed and blown away with his ability, and he had two Lawrence 12s as well, to use his GPS mapping to break down the lake that I had him on, one that he'd never been to. The speed and efficiency in which his kid used those electronics was, it, it blew my mind. I had not ever been in a boat and seen anything like that. Um, so yes, I'm going to learn a bunch from, from being in the boat with other people as I teach them my thought process and how to break down new lakes. And that's one of the big focuses on the Academy that I've got, that I've got right now. All right. We're going to immediately go off script because you brought it up. Okay. Um, <laughs> so this year was the top 10 pros in the Toyota series championship averaged as the youngest top 10 in the Toyota Series Championship mm -hmm. of all time. Yep. How, yep. what was the average age of the top 10? You don't oh, need I to know bet, this. I have, a, I have a spreadsheet in 20, front of me. 24 to 26. I think it's 24 to 26 I would go in that range. All right. It was 28.6 because Donnie okay. Bass and Todd Castledine, super old. They're like 40. It's ridiculous. <laughs> the second easy i i know the second youngest uh top 10 ever was 2020 it was 35.8 years old this was like dramatically the youngest top 10 and i mean man there were a lot of guys who caught him with forward facing sonar there were like marshall robinson hasn't fished in college he's only fished in high school he's 19 uh, right. Drew Gill is 20 and fishes in college. I mean, dude, the kids are really good right now. I agree with that. Um, and I think it's a combination of a lot of things. Um, there's so much information out there. And what I mean by that is YouTube, all the social media platforms, and, and our guys, our Bass Pro Tour guys, our pro echelon, they're so great at sharing their information, their, their technology, their their thought process and these kids as i'm around them more and more they're like a sponge they're learning and i've said this often they're learning in one to two years which back in my day would take an angler 10 to 15 years to learn and they're fearless they're fearless in the fact that they're not scared to try anything they will embrace technology not run from it it's the generation that they grew up in and 
man, they've got to drive. And then when you add all that together, the next thing you know, and I've seen it and you've seen it as well, each generation keeps getting better. When we start talking about the greatest of all times in each era of sports, we, we have our favorites and we pick out people. I would make the argument right now in the last three to five years, and then let's throw in there the fact that these kids are competing in high school. They are competing in college. They are jumping into the BFLs and the Toyota series. So you add all that together, they're more seasoned quicker uh, because when you compete, you get real-time feedback. You find out real quick, are you on the right path or not? If you're not, you better change. And, and I'll go back to what I said. These kids are fearless, so they'll change on a dime. Um, I think we're going to see a trend that they continue to get to us quicker and younger. But the, the limiting factor will be the affordability. You and I both know how expensive it is to stay out here. And when we get them younger, that means their window to be able to stay out here is going to be shorter and they better not miss many beats or we'll break them and then they, they're going to have to do something else. But man, we've got some hammers coming to us at a really young age right now. Yeah. We, there are really a, like a tremendous number of really good young anglers. Um, and it's college guys. And there's like some high school guys that are like pretty stunningly adept. And it's not, all from like powerhouse southeastern states. Not that there's not a bunch coming out of the south, but like Gil is from Illinois. Uh, Tristan, or not Tristan, um, Trey McKinney's from Illinois too, I think. And he's like killing the game and he's a baby. You know, it's really, it's really impressive. It seems like that you can probably learn faster about fishing than ever before, almost from wherever you want to. I, I agree with that. And, and I think one of the biggest misconceptions in our sport is the fact that it's Southeast dominated. And, and I'll give you some examples of this. I, I will always make the argument until somebody proves me different, the best in the world, the best of all time, and will be the greatest thing ever in my mind until I pass away will be Kevin. He's from yeah, Michigan. He's from Michigan. <laughs> Throw Ike in there. Yeah, you throw Ike in there, he's from Jersey. They, I mean, they ain't, they don't have three good places to fish in that whole state. Look at Jacob. He's got an Indiana background. So the, the misconception is, well, you've got to be in the south or southeast. When I start going down here, let's throw in a Brandon Polnick. You can't get much further out west than where Polnick lives at as well. So the, the mold of, man, the guys have got to be in the southeast or the east. I, I think we've seen already in past that that can be broken. And then when you look at angles from the Illinois area, Illinois and Kentucky are not that far apart. So they have access to some really good waters. Yeah. And Illinois honestly has some pretty good water. It's just not big water. There's like right. some pretty legit lakes there, especially in Southern Illinois that are cool to fish. And, you know, they're not, they're not big tournament lakes because they can't be. They're not big enough. But right. you can learn a lot on them. You can do some cool things. Um, well, again, I go back to Ike in Jersey. Tell me what you're going to learn in Jersey that you can apply nationwide. I mean, I guess how to throw like a Senko, you know. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. But then, you know, Ike is just – I guess guys like that, too, they end up – 
figuring out real quick how to fish pressured water. And I mean super pressured water with limited amount of fish. So then when you put a guy like him that's used to that every day on these really good fisheries, the next thing you know, man, they, they, they explode because they already know how to catch them in extremely tough conditions. And now any and everything they face, it just gets a lot easier. Yeah. I think that's a, I think that's a good point. Cause like, I think that's a bit of a stumbling block sometimes for guys who come from up North and like, you know, you, you see the weights in New York, like the fishing is incredibly good up here and it's basically always incredibly good. And if I, you go down to Lake Norman, it's going to be harder to catch fish. Well, maybe not catch fish, but it's harder to catch four pounders. <laughs> two of my dear friends live up there in your neck of the woods, Tom LeVictory Jr. and Sr. And, and I got to know Sr. just by going up to Champlain and then obviously his son. And I've watched Jr. grow up and both of them are tremendous fishermen in their own right. And Jr. at one point in time, he had a desire to do this thing nationally. And I laughed at him, not because I didn't think he had the ability. One, I knew they had a good business up there, and I knew how hard it was. And I said, the hardest thing you're going to have to learn is you're fishing in fantasy world. Because that time, Champlain still is and was definitely then one of the best lakes in the country. And you go out there, as you well know, because you fish it all the time and just catch fish after fish. I said, no, when you come down south, you're getting ready to have a crude awakening. You're going to be used to 30 and 40 fish days, and you're going to be fishing fisheries now you catch seven to ten fish you've had a great day that is hard for anglers to adjust to but then i flip it over to kevin i mean kevin won the classic at pittsburgh that was the lowest weight tournament that we've ever had and then he's also set numerous records on some of the biggest weights tournaments so it it can happen it can adjust um but it is difficult if you come down south and fish in some of these tougher fisheries and your background is those northern really good fisheries yeah, no, no doubt. Um, all right, we've we're kind of we're all over the place as usual. Um, but <laughs> let's let's talk about the year that was a little bit because we had a really yeah. we had a cool thing happen. We had two back to back AOIs uh, in the same year. Jacob Wheeler on the Bass Pro Tour, Michael Neal on Tackle Warehouse Pro Circuit, rest in peace. And it was like it's incredible to see that that those two guys put together. Like, Wheeler essentially put together two perfect seasons. And Neil put together two perfect seasons with also one of the worst finishes of his life, and he overcame it. Um, what, do you, what do you think about just what we saw? Because it was cool. Yeah, we just got through talking about the youth movement in our sport, and then let's throw Connell in there that he won three Bass Pro Tour events in one season. And he did it against a pretty stacked field up there. But I'll go back to Wheeler first. I agree with you. That was probably two of the best competitive seasons I've ever seen an angler put together. And 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 I don't know the first AOI that Jacob had that the AOI was the primary goal. I really don't. Um, but I talked to him enough coming into this season that I knew the AOI was his primary focus. And I truly think there was a couple of events where he went ahead and blew up what he found fish-wise and got that automatic bid into the championship round at the detriment of him possibly winning an event. Um, 
But the AOI was his primary focus that year, and he executed his plan, his strategy, to absolute perfection. And then you look at Michael Neal, and I don't think I, – I think several things with Neal. One, I don't think the world realizes how good he is and is going to be, but I can also say the same thing about Michael. I don't even think he has a clue yet how good he's going to be and can be I do think he's starting to figure it out. And I'll go back to that win that he had at St. Clair. You know, he's always been a self-proclaimed, I'm not a good smallmouth fisherman. <laughs> and then on the Bass Pro Tour, he blew it up at St. Clair. And, and then that just translated into more momentum. And then we watch him win at Rayburn this year uh, on the Tackle Warehouse Pro Circuit. And then we talk about having a bad finish. He not only had one of the worst finishes he's ever had in his career, he had it on a lake that he had multiple top fives on, and it's a TVA chain, and oh yeah, you catch them offshore, but typical Michael Neal fashion, when they showed up at Gunnersville, he learned from his mistake. He felt like his mistake was, I was looking for the same ledges everybody else was looking, because we talk about how great the electronics are, and they're good. There's no more secrets. Terry Bolton said this a long time ago, and, and we know what a great offshore fisherman Bolton is. He said, now with these electronics, and Terry's from Kentucky Lake, anyone can buy the electronics in the mapping, and they know 99% of everything I've ever found on Kentucky Lake with one purchase. Neil ran into that at Pickwick. And then at Gunnersville, his adjustment was still fishing that type of way, but looking for things that were off the map. So there's a young angler that made an immediate adjustment and he was rewarded with the top 10. We're going to have a lot of fun watching Wheeler, Neil, Connell, Jay Lee, Wiggins. I, um, I, I guess we can still say Lucas is young. He, he, you know, some days he'll want to tell you he's old. Other days he's going to say he's young. But, man, we've got so many good young fishermen. That season we saw, though, put an explanation point on the youth movement. It's here and it's real. Yeah. It's uh it's interesting cuz like you know Neil and Wheeler they're young, right? They're younger I would say than historically the top anglers in the sport have been, right? Like they're a little bit ahead of the age curve, but they're also like a fair bit older than, you know, Kyle Hall and Dakota Ebert. <laughs> uh, like, there's, there, uh, it, it just seems like we're moving so fast right now. We are, but we've seen it a time or two before. Maybe, it, but what we've never seen is in the mass. And I'm going to give you an example of this. I went back as we were getting to that last event, and you really want to give these guys their dues and, and, and the respect and, and the accolades that they deserve. But also, I go back to the guy that set the standard for our sport, and he's still fishing, and that's Kevin. When Kevin was their age, Wheeler and Niels, and, and I might be off on this one or one at the most, I believe, he'd either won three or four AOIs. We've got to remember, Kevin come to the national scene as an 18- or 19-year-old. When he won Lanier, which I think was his first national win, he, I don't think he'd hit 20 yet. So by the time he got to where, where Wheeler and Neil was uh, in his multitude of AOY wins, 
He had won four. He was his own youth movement. Now we're seeing a mass of a youth movement. So what they did had been done and even done a little bit better, but we've never seen this many good young anglers move the bar in a sustained fashion as what we're seeing right now. How much of an outlier do you think Kevin Van Dam is? Like, do you think 30, 40 years from now, we're going to be able to look back and clearly say, not only was Van Dam the best of all time, he was the best of all time by like a lot, or do you think 30 or 40 years from now, we'll probably very likely still say that Van Dam was the best of all time, but that there were some guys who like legitimately caught up to him or came close? Uh, because I feel like really right now, question. nobody's come close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you look at the record, I completely agree with that. We're talking about a guy with uh, eight AOI wins um, and 29 regular season wins and four classic wins. I mean, that's that's just no one's close right now. Here's how I'll answer that. I think when we look back 30 to 40 years from now, there'll be a multitude of anglers that's won more money than him. These guys yes. are winning bigger money at a faster clip than they ever did. I mean, Kevin's getting it around seven and a half million in winnings. And he did a lot of that back when 30th place check was $1,500. You know, it's only been in the recent last 10 years where a 50th place check was a consistent $10,000. So Kevin probably spent two thirds of his career fishing for a sub payout than what we have now. So I think in 30 to 40 years, we'll have several anglers pass him in career earnings. I truly do believe we're going to be hard-pressed to get an angler right now that's going to pass him in what he's done in his career. We can make the argument that Jacob's on the path, and, and I am I am a firm believer he is. Right now, he's six AOI short to just get him there. He's another three championships because Wheeler has, has won a, a cup, and to me, I will hold a cup a classic in Redcrest in equal standards. Their championship events of their perspective, time frames, and where we're at in the sport. I will always hold those as equal. I do think we have some young anglers, Michael Neal, Dustin, uh, Jay Lee, um, uh, uh, Connell. I think they have a chance to possibly get there. But the thing that's so amazing with Kevin is when he was 40 to 50, he was still winning and winning at a high rate. And most of the time when you see anglers getting to that 43 to 45 time frame, life catches up, family catches up, uh, work catches up, and they tend to let off the gas a little bit. The young anglers we have, they're tracking to be that and to do what he's done, but can they sustain it? And not only could Kevin sustain it in his older years, and I will still stand by this. We are blessed in the fact that our best athlete, Kevin, is not only our best fisherman, he's also the hardest working guy off the water in the sport, and he's also still the most recognizable angler that we've got in the world. And he, he does that just tirelessly. I mean, he continues to toe the line for the whole sport. And, oh, yeah, by the way, our best athlete in the whole world – we, you never deal with scandals. You never deal with negative press from Kevin. It, it's always what's good about the sport. I think our young ones have a chance to get there. But I think in 30 to 40 years from now, when we look back, 
we'll see anglers that have made more money than him, but I don't think we'll ever have another one that's as accomplished as him. Yeah. On the money side of things, so Van Dam's one, two, three, one, two, three, four. His first seven wins, one of them was for 75000 All of the rest were for 46000 or less. <laughs> right. Wheeler has two wins with Bassmaster, both of them over 100000 Right. With MLF and FLW, I think, so he won the BFL, he won a BFL region, or no, he didn't win the regional. He won the All-American. Right. right. Um, which, I guess, I guess in my ballpark, I would be like, hey, that's 100000 but it might have been fifty. dollars uh, That was 100000 It was 100 And then he won the Cup, which was 500000 then. I mean, yep. right off the bat, he is way ahead of the pace. Yep, yeah, and and I, I think it'll either be this year or next year. Uh, if Jacob continues to, to trend to where he's at, he'll be second all-time on the money list right now. Um, depends on who's doing the math. Right now, it, it's either uh, Dudley, uh, Skeet, Edwin's in that conversation, Aaron's in there. They're all separated by about 100,000. They're north of $4 million. Jacob flew past three million like it was standing still. Um, he'll he will I predict end up passing all those guys within the next year or two, and it'll be Kevin all time money winner, and then Jacob second, and and then the race is really going to be on. But I, I do think Jacob definitely has a chance to pass Kevin in all time winnings, and so does a lot of other young anglers as you just said because of the rate they're winning right now. Um, but it's. You know, when Jacob gets to four or five AOIs, and I think he will, then we're going to start having that conversation, legitimately having, man, is he going to get to do what Kevin's done? I, he's one of the few young ones that we've got that I absolutely know has a skill. And and right now, and his motor seems to be pretty good. I mean, he is not content. He's working hard. Uh, people don't realize how much time he spends in the offseason season in downtime, getting better, one, and two, thinking about the next event. I mean, truly putting in extra time in the water and pre-fishing and preparing like he should. He's a professional angler, and he's taking care of the business. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's one thing. Did guys back in the 90s, early 2000s, did they pre-practice as much as anglers do now? Because now it seems to me that Pre-practicing, I don't want to say it's a must to have tournament success, but there seems to be a pretty strong correlation to like putting in that extra time is is worth it. Yeah, back in the day, back in the ancient times when I fished, and that's the time period you're talking about, I, I think you had two groups of anglers. You had, or really three groups. You had some that would pre-fish some events if they've never been to lake. You had others that would never pre-fish, and then. I was a big believer. When I was the couple years that I actually was relevant in the sport, and emphasis on just a couple, I spent a lot of time pre-fishing. And, and I will say this, that's towards the end of my career, when I got to the point, and, and unfortunately for me, I look back on it, it was a degree of complacency. When I got to the point that I feel like I'd been to the bodies of water and I didn't need to pre-fish as often, man, that's when I, my finishes really started going south. But there was a degree of pre-fishing. And, and it there's a misnomer there, and, and let's talk about that for a second. So when we talk about pre-fishing, 
what when I finally got decent at it, here was the key. You would ride the lakes, you would look around on the lakes, you would use your electronics, you would use your mapping, you would try to figure out areas that you felt like the fish were heading to or could be at. The biggest mistake people make in pre-fishing is actually fishing, in my opinion, because then you know what the here and now. And when you come back two weeks later, a month later, human instinct's going to make you go check the here and now. When I talk to Jacob and other good ones that do pre-fish some now, they always, they're talking more and more about, yeah, I spent two days on this body of water. Well, they get more done in two days on that body of water with their electronics and their mapping and their ability to read fish and seasonal patterns than a local angler can get done in two months. They have a feel for what the playing field is going to look like when they get back. And then they have only two days of practice. And so many of our really good anglers, especially in the Bass Pro Tour, when I'm talking to them before that first day, they'll talk about, I'm not quite dialed in yet. But they're taking all the information they got from pre-fishing, riding on electronics, for their two days of practice, current information. And then that first day of the event, they're really starting to dial it in. I feel like if you miss one of those steps right now as a competitive angler, you're going to get left behind. Yeah. What do you think, um, sorry, uh, kind of back on the Van Damme subject, what, what do you think the like strength of the field is like between when he was earning some of his first wins and what we're seeing right now? Because if you look at like, so... 2005, an Elite 50 at Lake Louisville. Um, there was this guy called Marty Stone. He finished 43rd. Um, <laughs> Typical <but> finish. <laughs> Van Dam won. Brian Snowden was second. Oh, then oh, it was Shakehead, too. Iconelli, Nixon, Evers, Howell, Aaron Martins, Kenyon Hill, Clawson, Swindle, Dustin Wilkes, Kevin Worth. Talk in 13th, Guy Eaker in 14th. Like, this does not look like a slacker field. I'm just saying. Right, right. Uh, in 97, you know, he won a Maryland Bassmaster Top 100 at the Potomac. Randy Blockett was second. That's honestly, Randy Blockett is kind of still in his prime then. Rick Lilligard in third, Guy Eaker, Denny Brower, Roland Martin, Zell Roland. Dion Hibden, Gerald Swindle, David Fritz, Shaw Grigsby. Like, these are guys who, at the time, are... Ask many of them are much more in their prime than they day. are now, you know? That 97 event, ask me who was leading after the first day. Who was leading after the first day? You're talking to him. You didn't um, know that, did you? I did not know that. <laughs> Why are you not in this list here in the top 20? What is happening I, I here? The, I was a, I was a one hit wonder. I led the first day and then I did what I normally do. I just sort of fell away. Hey, though you tied with Scott experience. Martin. Oh my god! I, I actually Kevin and myself were sharing some water. Unfortunately for me, my primary area was like one of his fifteen stops that he made. So he had fourteen <laughs> other areas that was just as good as the best area I'd found. But hey. I did. That was one of my claim to fame. That was my first year on a national trail and I was leading the Potomac after day one and I was a, I was a duck out of water. Here's the thing. Usually one area on the Potomac 
it can be good enough. You yeah, can just sit in one creek. Have, you better have multiple areas. You're, you're sharing it with a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> All right, but back but now, to the point. What do you What do you think? So, I now this is going to be a little biased because I was a part of that era. All right. Um, I think today's field that we have on the Bash Pro Tour, from top to bottom, from top to bottom, is absolutely without a shadow of a doubt the best field that's ever, ever been assembled of young, old, and anglers everywhere in between. There is. I remember in 2019, Todd Faircloth called me. He's like, and it was a second event. I'll never forget this conversation because Faircloth is so quiet and unassuming and, and just a great angler, and I love him to death. He's so much fun to talk to. And he's like, Marty, can you believe I'm in Group B? And I'm like, all right, I'm going to play along with this. I'm like, yeah, really? Group B? He's like, yeah. Have you looked at that? And I'm like, yeah, I've looked at it. I said, I tell you what, just for kicks and giggles, let's go over here and look at Group A. Tell me where the slacker is. Where, where's the where's the layup? Where's the gimme? He looked at Group A and he said, man, my bad. Talk to you later. <laughs> I mean, when you talk about these anglers in Group A and Group B and in the top 20 advance, that sounds really easy. Top 50% of a group and you get to move on to the knockout round. But then look at the groups. So I will say today's field, from top to bottom, is the best that's ever been assembled. Now, the time period you're talking about, 2000s, 99, 2000, 2001, there was a group of young anglers that come up through the ranks at that particular time. Swindle was a part of that. Hackney was a part of that. Ike was hitting all cylinders. Aaron Martins was a part of that group. Um, there was a host of others that are really good, older anglers right now uh, i was a part of that group that didn't make the group any better but there was about 10 or 15 of us and, and at that particular time we shook up the sport and, and what i mean by that was all of a sudden we started taking up a lot of the sponsorship dollars from some of the old guard and, and i tell people all the time one of the issues with this sport is when you get sponsored dollars Normally, it's not new dollars created. Unfortunately, you're taking it from somebody. We took a lot of money from other older anglers, and it's because we were good. We were hungry. We pre-fished. We put in our time. We were aggressive. We broke down bodies of water in a hurry, and we didn't give a crap. We didn't care how many days on the water it took. We knew this is what we wanted to do, and for the most of us, failure was not an option. It was absolutely not an option. The young ones that come out in that time period, we'd all been broke before. We knew what it felt like, and we didn't want to do it again. I would say that group that come out probably had less financial help, family, other support than they have now at a young age, and we were pretty darn good. But if you told me I had to rank the uh, one field versus the other, I would still say today's field in the Bass Pro Tour is better but I would give you that time frame, that list you just mentioned, as probably the second best group that's ever been assembled. Because Ricky was still in his prime, Larry was still in his prime, Roland was still catching him, Guido was still around, Denny was still winning events, Klein was still a hammer, and we're coming in and we're having to knock on the door with that group. I really felt like historically, you know, Fritz was a handful, Yellis was still somewhere out there. As a group, it was a handful. When we showed up at an event, again, I go down that list. There was no layups in there. There was none going, man, I'm sure glad he's in this field because it's going to be easy money. It was not. And 
add to that, normally in our 100 place event or 100 angler, we were only paying out top 25 or top 30. It wasn't pay the whole field. God knows I wish I could have fished when the whole field got a check. I might actually had won over a million dollars in my career then. Yeah, and this is the point, like, Danny Brower had won, like, an all-time great season on the FLW Tour in 1998. He finished yep. 115th at Toho, and then he finished ninth or better in every event the rest of the year, except for the Forestwood Open, which I believe was the Cup at that point in time, where he finished 12th. I mean, right. it's a... Uh, yeah, you. I think that the 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 old guard was still at an extremely high level then. Um, but I agree mm-hmm. with you. Like this point in time, this Bass Pro Tour field, especially after the last two years of adding anglers, is yep. at a probably at a peak from a just a top to bottom competitiveness standpoint. I completely agree with that. I, I, I would say, and, and you did the average age at the Toyota Championship. I guarantee the group that you were looking at back in 01 and, and 99 and, and 2000, that was an older group. When you look at the median age for that versus what we were facing with the day. And, and now our field is getting younger. The ones we bring to them. And I'm looking at the rookies this year, Becker, Butler, Crane. Crane's that liar. He's already successful. Dennis, a.k.a. Doc. John Hunter, LeBrun, Sheffield, Wall. That's a young group. So they didn't make the field older at all. Um, and so that means our whole Bass Pro Tour just got younger. And, oh, yeah, by the way, Wheeler, Neil, Connell, and others, they're, they're, they, they haven't even got close to their 33rd birthday yet. So as a whole, the field is definitely younger than it's ever been. Yeah. On that, I guess on that note, maybe, are there any – additions to the Bass Pro Tour this year that you are like from an angler standpoint that you are particularly interested in or want to call out because this is I think a extremely good rookie class like I, I think last year I think anytime you can get in on one year of performance you have a chance yep. for some fluctuation but yep. I think this particular year you have some guys who are like super legit well, and, and I'm going to add to that, and and I think that both leagues have actually got this right finally. Um, and I know it's probably not a popular choice. You know, we're we've gone to the invitationals now. You got to fish six events and get in, and you're you're a little bit more ready. And then bass, I think that you've got to fish all nine of those and be able to get in. What you're going to end up with is a lot more seasoned, um, higher level angler ready. You know, back in the day when you could only fish two or three events and then be able to qualify in. I remember in the elites. I used to love it when those guys got in opens. You'd have an angler have a 15th place finish, a 35th place finish, a 45th in his first year. He brought us the money, jumped over to the elites. Man, I'd hug his neck every day and say, hey, just hang in there. That was code for keep bringing me your money because you're not ready <laughs> for what we're getting ready to bring to you. These anglers now that are going to move forward because they're a lot more seasoned with six or nine events, they're going to be positioned to have sustained success. And when I look at our field, I'll just give a quick rundown from top to bottom, and then I'll talk about the one or two that really outlier. Becker, I've always been a fan of. I, I, I think he is a tremendous angler, high upside, uh, going to be around for a long, long time, will be, and is going to be a superstar. Josh Butler, who I got to know a lot last year because he kept making top tens, 
I mean, he's got that all-American credit to him. He's really coming his own. Successful business owner that eases up the financial pressure. But it's a really good fisherman and, 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 and marches to his own beat. Uh, Mitch Crane, one of my favorite guys of all time to cover and talk to, just a fresh breath oh, God, of fresh God, I love air. Mitch so much. <laughs> he, he bought the trend. Mitch is not supposed to be here. When Cor- you look correct. at his resume, he's only been fishing for five or six years. But he is such a smart angler. He overcomes his lack of experience and lack of practicing where he's pretty analytical in the fact that he puts himself time and time again in productive order. I kept waiting for the wheels to fall off last year, and they never did. Um, And Mitch just doesn't get rattled. John Hunter, that's the one I'm going to circle. That's the one who I felt like quietly made it in, spoke with him a couple times at the last event. And John has already made a run through the leaps back in the younger days, fresh out of college, and he self-admitted it just – he probably wasn't ready. I, I've seen that, been there, done that. He was not ready. But now, as a, a lot of anglers do, he went through some hard times, tough times. Anglers have done that. I, and I always say when anglers are having success, especially the young ones, that's a good thing. I'm, okay, you got my attention. But when you really get my attention is when you've had success, you fall down, you pick yourself back up, dust off the dust, and say, all right, my God, let's get it right. He's done that. He's been there, done that. I think he probably got the least amount of coverage of anybody that we got in the rookie class because he just quietly had a good year. I also think he has a tremendous upside about him as an angler and has some legitimate staying power, not only in the sport, but also in the sponsor front as well. He is a breath of fresh air. And, and I think if he can get past the first three or four tournaments and nothing dramatic happens and he realizes that he is good enough to be here and he gets that sticking power then he's going to be around a long time lebrun you can just say he was overdue nick is is being right there on the cusp with some great things and he wins two events this year he's 100 percent bass pro tour ready and with us going back to the best five the way he fishes i think that benefits him shutfield forget it that, that's just that's just a hammer. I don't care what the format. I don't care what the lake is. He's one of my all-time favorites that I've covered in the last couple of years. It, it doesn't matter. He's just he's that good. Look at the look who he's taught by. He took everything that Ron does or did well, learned how to do it, and then developed his own style. He's a lot better finesse fisherman than Ron ever was. So Spencer's the best of both worlds. He's power and finesse. He doesn't get rattled. Him, like Hunter, went through some hard times in life and has overcome them. So Spencer will be around for a long time. And then Jacob Wild, that's probably our pup. That's the young one that's going to come out. Will he get overwhelmed? Can he handle the pressure? Will he handle the moment? I think the talent is there. Um, Will the field get too big for him? Uh, I I don't think it will. I think he's got some sticking power. I think the five-fish format probably benefits him as well because it doesn't put as much pressure on him. Um, We'll see. We'll see with Jack. I think he's got a tremendous, tremendous ceiling. But with my young anglers, when they get out here for the first time, man, it's a gauntlet. It's an absolute gauntlet of how you handle the pressure of fishing against this group. Yeah, it definitely. I mean, it's a tough task. I I agree that, well, I, I think that Becker and Sheffield are like, they're boring because 
I am just so sure they're going to be successful. I would bet houses on it, you know. Yep. Whereas all of the other guys, they have either a short enough history or just a there, there's just some possible flaw about them. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it was interesting what you said about Hunter being kind of the sneaky guy in there, and you know, I think a lot of that comes down to like if he can maintain this sort of new level that he's hit because when he first qualified for the elite series, he did it at the same time as he was like one of the hottest co-anglers like alive. He was making top tens on the boater side in the Toyota series, which I guess was the Costa series back then. Like, you know, he looked like the real deal and maybe now he's, way more the real deal than he ever was back then. Yeah, I, I go back to, especially with the young ones, I, I want to see the success. That that shows me the, the ceiling. You know, where can we get to? You, you can only get as high as where you've been to before and then exceed that by a little bit. His, his ceiling, he's shown me some high moments. And then I always look at, all right, what do they do when they get kicked to the dirt a little bit? You know, I don't think anybody's been kicked much harder than Spencer Sheffield. And he's picked himself back up, knocked off the dust, and look at it now. He's arguably one of the top 21, top 30 anglers in the world. Uh, Hunter's been through the, that peaks and valleys. He, as you said, you know, had some highs, had some lows. But when I see anglers able to go through the highs and then come from the lows and then reach back and get back up there, that normally shows me somebody's got the character to be able to have some sticking power to them. If you, so, okay, this is. Do you think Spencer Sheffield is the thirtieth best angler in the world, or the tenth best, or the fifth best, or the twentieth best? Because if he's in the top thirty, like that's actually kind of a large group. I would I would have put him much higher personally. If we're just mentally I, doing I'm this, I'm not gonna. So that's that's a fair question. That's a real and it's a subjective question, and that's one that starts to debate. Some people are going to write hate mail in, and others are going to write in. I, I love the thought process on that. Um. I want to say somewhere in the 25th to 30th okay. in range in my mind because when we when we just go through that exercise and we're talking about anglers in the world, I, I'll just go to the Bass Pro Tour because I'm, I'm not as familiar with the guys in the elites and, and there's some really good anglers over there as well. Um, who are we going to put him in front of? Okay. So that list gets pretty short in a hurry there because – we just talked about six or seven pretty good young anglers that are, are fairly well accomplished. And then I, I'm looking at you throw a depot in there. Um, let's see. We got a, an Edwin in there. We got a Dudley. We got a lawyer in there. I mean, I, I just, the field three up in there, a straighter. Um, again, who do you get in front of? Do I think he has the potential to be top 10? 100%. Do I think he's going to compete for the AOI? If we were at a every fish format, I would have told you, shoe in top 10. Now that we went back to the biggest five, best five, um, I still think he'll be in the top 25, top 30 in the end of the AOI season because he's just that good. But I don't know if I'm willing to go much higher than 25th yet. Okay. I'm really curious to see what the uh, what he does next year and then also what he does, you know, the year after that. Um, cause mm-hmm. I think this year, like 2023 
it could be kind of a interesting learning year for a lot of folks because the the new format, which is not really new, is still going to be a, like an interesting challenge. I think. Um, I, I think that it, fishing for five and knowing what everyone has is maybe a it's a little bit different than just knowing that man you have got to catch a ton of weight every day. Um, but I did this and I didn't do it this year, but up into this year I had done it. And it, the math on it goes like this. 90% of the guys that won every fish count would have won the best five as well. I, I, up until this year I did it and, and I haven't went back and looked at it yet. So 90% of the time and, and the 10% of the guys that didn't win, they would have been second or third. It, it's just, you you take you have a good tournament day, whether it's every fish counts or whether it's the best five. A good tournament day is a good tournament day. I think with us going to the best five, I don't see anybody really having a disadvantage because so many of our anglers that are really good in every fish counts, they happen to be good no matter whether it's one fish, it's 101, or it's the best five. I do think we have a few anglers that going back to the best five it's truly going to benefit. But I'm also going to say this. I think we got a whole lot of anglers, buddy. We just removed a lot of excuses. And, and I hate to be that blunt, but this is what you wanted. Okay, then let's see how you do, because I've heard the little chipper, man, I'm a better best five. We're getting ready to find out. <laughs> I've always said my best anglers on tour, no matter what the rules are, tell them the rules, they're going to win. Give Wheeler the rules. He's going to, whether it's, Heavy hitters, whether it's the best one, whether it's 101, whether it's the best five, Justin Lucas, give him the rules. Um, Michael Neal, he actually won his AOIs back-to-back on the best five, and he's really good on every fish counts. My really good birds, it doesn't matter, best five, every fish count. Give him the rules. The best anglers are still going to win. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. But I have circled a couple anglers that I truly feel like this best five is going to help in a big-time way. Who are those guys? Yep. Uh, first and foremost will be Andy Morgan. And, oh, yeah, by the way, Andy Morgan, top five in AOI this year with Every Fish Counts. I think we just extended Andy's career by another 10 to 15 years, and someone's going to look back this year and go, man, why did we do that? Why did we change the rules? I think Montgomery is another one that's going to benefit with that because of his style of fishing. Uh, I think he's a, I do think he is a guy that does target just the way he fishes bigger fish. I think Zach Burge is going to benefit and, and Burge didn't need much of a benefit anyway. He's good in either format, but I think this is going to put him more at home. Zach did a nice job as a young angler embracing the forward facing technology and he come to us as a very good accomplished shell water power fisherman. I think Defoe just got a lot more dangerous with this best five in the kind of water he looks for and how he likes to fish. He was great in every fish counts. And he's just a he's just a guy that typical give him the rules, he's gonna catch them. But now that we went back to the best five, I think advantages him and my outlier in this bunch that I think has a chance to benefit a lot. Uh, calm him down a little bit more mentally. I think Chris Lane, uh, I think this format, the shocking thing with me with Chris is he's never made a top 10 
on the Every Fish Counts. Come close several really? times, but never made a top 10. I look for Chris to have a big, big year with this format and the schedule that we've got. Yeah, I uh, I think that Chris Lane one is a good pick because, I mean, man, he he's, it's not like he's slowed down at five fish. I mean, he's very consistently in the game on the pro circuit. You know, he's there. And so I, I think that's a that's a good call. Um, Morgan, honestly, you know, I don't know with Morgan. <clears throat> he is so good at just catching fish, and he's never been a guy who catches 25 pounds. He's always been a guy who just wakes up with 13. And I, I feel like, I mean, it's not going to hurt him. He's Andy Morgan. But I, mm-hmm. I, I think that we might just see Andy Morgan keep on ticking. You know, <laughs> um, well, I think we're going to see him keep on ticking, but I actually think we're going to see him tick even higher than what he's been ticking, and that's yeah, scary. I, that's I would really be, scary. I'd be happy to see that because you know his AOI years pretty dang fun. That's some mm-hmm. cool stuff when you've got Andy Morgan winning an AOI. Um, he's one of those guys when you watch fish, you can get mesmerized. It's so beautiful because he's that good. Yeah. Yes, and I say Takahiro is one of my top five casters. Montgomery's a top five caster. Andy Morgan is top five, and I'd make the argument top three. It, it's just his ability to cast matches his ability to shoot a bow, and it's insane. Yeah, I would say I think my three favorite anglers to watch fish are, I would say, well, let me go four. I love watching Sheffield fish because I love how intense he is on forward-facing sonar. It is like it captures my attention. And I know what he's looking at better than like some of the average, like if you're just watching on TV, I think, which helps me appreciate it. So that's maybe an exception. But I love watching Morgan fish. I love watching thrift fish. And then I love watching Wheeler fish because I just feel like every time I'm watching him fish, I'm just watching like the best guy in the world fish. And it's like mm-hmm. really, really, really cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I'll, I'll go with, I, I agree with you on that. I'll add a couple in there too. I, I, I enjoy watching Edwin because of a, he, I think he wheels a fish to bite. And then when he gets aggravated with him a little bit, he's, he's a borderline, just, he's so intense. Um, Greg Hackney was one of my all-time favorites to watch. That guy was just silk smooth. Uh, Defoe is very underrated as a tremendous caster. Um, one of the best that I've ever seen as well. Jordan Lee is effortless. It's absolutely effortless in how good and how fast he moves down the bank. And then Michael Neal is a guy that no one really realizes how smooth and how fast when he's going down the bank, not offshore, but just – burning down the bank that he fishes. I mean, Neil has got a great pace about him as well. Straighter's a hoop because you just, you're going to, you're going to see a really good angler. And if you pull up on him, you're going to be entertained. It's just, it's a, it's a nonstop comedy show. And then talk is, it's just, it's good. It's special. And when talk is throwing a vibrating jig or spinner bag or square bill, I don't know if he has any equals. I really don't. Uh, he's that good going down the bank. And then Kevin's always a ball to watch, too, because when he's dialed in, uh, 
you get to see what a surgeon looks like. When he's really, really got it figured out and he's throwing a square bill or a lipless or, or something that's a, a moving bait, that's that's now you look back and go, okay, now, now I know why he beat me all these years. Yeah, I haven't watched uh, Van Damme fish in person hardly at all. I would really like to. Um, I, I think another guy kind of in that in that group is I really like watching Mark Rose fish offshore. He is surgical at it. That's a that's another guy where you see that high level of function and it's just impressive. Yeah, Penny Rose had a he had a really quiet good year. I was talking to him toward the end of the season. He was disappointed to see something like Buddy. You're he holds himself to such a high standard. I mean, he's such an accomplished anchor and it's done so much. And you're right, offshore he's good. But what a lot of people don't realize about Mark is the fact that that's not how he grew up. Mark Rose was a river rat. He was a Mississippi oh, yeah. river rat. First time I ever met him was when we were doing the FLW events out of Memphis. And he was in the top tens there. And and, um, and then the next thing you know, he's this offshore specialist. So he's got the best of both worlds. Yeah, he's, a, he's kind of proof that, like, you know, you can – young guys were able – have always been able to learn a tremendous amount. You know, it's not this mm-hmm. particular group of youth is important and remarkable, but also Mark Rose went from a river rat to, you know, one of the top five Tennessee river anglers in a matter of years. And he did it with some good friends and a big appetite for learning and figuring out new technology better than anyone else. Yeah, I agree with that. He was absolutely out in front of that curve. And, and you look at anglers that get on good runs, a lot of times there's a curve that they're out in front of, and he was definitely out in front of the down imaging um, and the mapping. Yeah. Uh, on the Bass Pro Tour side, we've kind of talked about the format change a little bit. You know, we've referenced it. But what uh, as far as the actual change goes, you know, we're looking at five fish. We're still catchway release. We've still got score tracker. And now the final two days, there'll be a cut, but it's combined weight for the win. Um, Which, personally, I think is maybe one of the biggest changes. I I feel like people aren't talking about that enough. But what what was your outlook on this? Because I feel like you've always been a really big advocate of you know, catching a ton of fish is the best way to have a tournament. Or, you know, the the current, the prior BPT format, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, great question. I had mixed emotions about this one. I really did. And I, I think when you look at the surveys, the surveys said the same thing. It, it was not like it was a, a 90-10 slam dunk. Let's go do this. Um and I talked to some of the guys that were really for the best five, and, and Justin Lucas and Jay Lee were two specific ones that I talked to as well on that. And so mixed feelings about this. I will still always say that our format, especially when we went to a two-pound minimum, um, it showcased greatness and exposed bad. Because if you went out and you caught 43-pounders, 
And then we were competing against each other, and I catch four three-pounders and a four-pounder, and it's under the best five. I'm I'm the better angler that day. But really what the format did was it didn't showcase greatness, and that was your day of 43-pounders, and it kind of hid my bad because I only caught five fish. I still believe that is the case. I, tru- I truly believe that that format is the truest form of fishing. Now, for everybody that's sitting out there going, well, man, five fish is tradition. That's hogwash. I I am going to absolutely, tradition is this. Tradition is when you go back and look at the history of sport, it's catch 15 and knock the heads off of them. That's where we started. Then we got to 10. We were still cleaning them. Then we got to 10 and we kept them somewhat alive. Then we went to seven and now we're at five. And five is the right number for conservation. So it's not tradition. We got the five because of conservation. Now, I say that to say this. When we started this in 2019, one of our promises to all the fans and to everybody that enjoys the sport was we were going to develop the technology and get it to the masses. In other words, no matter what level you fished at, you were going to be able to enjoy our catch, weigh, and release. And for whatever reason, it just has not happened. And as I reflect upon this decision, and I'm a big sports guy, I love all the sports, especially love baseball. When you look at the big three, when you look at basketball, football, and baseball, if you're a fan of that, if you're a basketball fan, you can go play in a church league. If you're a baseball fan, you can go play in some softball league or some wooden bat league. If if you're a, a football fan, you can go get involved in a flag football league. And the rules are pretty much the same of what your heroes play at and what you're going to play at at your local level. With us having catch, weigh, and release of every fish counts, we had now created a format that the average fan cannot go out and duplicate. So in a way, at some point in time, they were going to have a hard time relating. And I understand that. I truly do believe our format was so advanced that technology has not caught up to it. I still believe it's the truest way because now what we're going to do with the best five is we're going to limit what we can score and name a sport that limits what we can score. There's not one, but now we're going to limit. We're only going to count the best five, but it is still now what we're going to do is exactly what every other angler, no matter what level they do at, so they have the ability to be able to relate. And when you look at the give and take, can a fan relate versus can a fan not go duplicate? I think us going back to the format at this time period where we're at in the history of our sport, making it more relatable is the right call. Now, and as I was talking to Jordan, I reminded him, I said, what we're going to lose, we're going to lose some of those terrific comebacks that he made. I remember an Okeechobee event. He's at zero the first day, and he goes in a canal that he visited in college and ends up winning the round. I remember a, a Ufala event that he was basically dead last in his group and ran up in the river and then blew it out. When we go back to the best five, we're going to lose some of those really dramatic runs. We're going to lose some of those big come-from-behinds. And what these guys are going to have to realize quickly is don't have a bad day. Because in the old format, with every fish counts, you could have a bad day and make up for it. Now, if you have a bad day with the best five, you're toast. You're Because for you to make up ground, 
somebody in this group has really got the slip. And when you group look at group of 40s, tell me who in this group has got to where they're at in their career by slipping on a regular basis. None of them. So the best five, we're going to lose some dramatic comebacks. And an angler, they better be a lot more consistent. And if you have a bad one, two, three, or four fish day, you're probably not making that up. But what we are going to do, we're going to reward bigger fish, as we should. And I think the buzz around the forward-facing sonar, I'll go ahead and say it right now. We'll only talk about that 50% of the time of what we've done in the past. That is going to be a thing that will still be talked about, but will not, in my opinion, be a bigger deal as it has been in the last two years. One thing that I kind of liked about the format change, and I honestly, I've really grown to be kind of 50-50 on it personally, but I like that we're doing what the anglers want because I think it's, I won't say it's totally rare, but I feel like, you know, the guys who are, paying the entry fees, doing the fishing. I think they should have as much a voice in like the rules they play under as possible. Um, and maybe that doesn't always turn out to be the right move. And, and maybe that's where, you know, somebody else needs to make the decision. But I just like the idea that like the players get to call the shots to a degree. Well, I, I agree with that. And I'm going to take it to another level on that. I think this thing was the anglers got to have, and, and, and let's make no mistake about it, it's not 100% consensus. Some anglers still wanted every fish counts. But yeah, I, I think, think it was like 70% of the anglers voted four or five fish, is what I understand. Right. And, and the thing that I applaud the anglers for is they did their own polls with social media because social media is such a powerful platform now. They could, and, and what the anglers... You know, yeah, they wanted it, but what the anglers realized was a lot of the fans, not only did the anglers get what they wanted, supposedly, according to the angler polls, the fans are getting what they want. And I go back to, we had a format with every fish count, especially with the two-pound minimum, um, that it was something that an average angler, no matter what level, could not go out and duplicate that format, so it was hard to relate. I applaud that, and I'll take it a step further. I've always said this about bass fishing. Anglers should be allowed to make more decisions, and here, I think, are the boundaries. And this is me saying I'm running an organization, and anybody that knows anything about bass fishing knows that that will never happen. But if I was allowed to, my, my philosophy would be very simple. If it doesn't affect financials and it doesn't affect production, then I think the anglers should have the final voice in it. If it affects financials and it affects production, anglers should have a voice, but you still have got to run a good business. And normally a good business is around some type of successful production. But when we're dealing with decisions that doesn't affect the financials or production, it will 100% should be angler-led. And I, I think in this particular case, the anglers shared their voice of what they were hearing consistently from their fans on social media. The league did the proper steps, did the right surveys, did the right things, and now we're at this place. And for the few anglers that voted for it, self-serving, because they feel like they're a better five than they are every fish counts, like I said earlier, you're out of excuses now. Yeah. Um, what are some other 
like now that we are out of the every fish counts format, are there any tweaks that you would have made to it? Because the thing that I most would have liked to have seen from that format is I wanted to see Jacob Wheeler win by a thousand pounds. I wish there could be a tournament <laughs> where the weights never zeroed and they just fish for six days. Yeah, and I'm gonna be the devil's advocate of that because when Wheeler gets up by 250 pounds after day two, and I'm sitting there with Chad and JT and myself, and we've got all the fans. How are we going to keep anybody engaged from days three through six? Because everybody already knows what the outcome is. Uh, we can so see what he grills for somewhat. lunch. Maybe he's going to bring out a grill and like do a cooking show on deck on day five. Who knows? <laughs> I'm with you right up to this one because it's about ratings and ratings are about creating excitement. I mean, I'm the guy that I wish that we would just keep the knockout round and championship separate. I've, I've fished under both formats. I fished where we have the cumulative weight. I fish where we zero the weights. Uh, a cumulative weight, I get it. Uh, zero in the weights, it's more excitement. Now that I'm on the TV side of it, I'm always going to lean for more excitement. If I'm an angler, I'd probably want the cumulative because I want what I did yesterday to count for today as well, too. So it's a double-edged sword on that. The, probably the only thing that we did that I wish that we would have left along in this is I wish the guys that had won days one and two in their prospective group, I still wish we would have took them to the championship. I like that twist. But with the five fish, your best five now, I think that race gets a lot tighter. So we're still going to see drama at the top of the score tracker by the end of day two, but there's no reward. I think at some point in time, we need to either look at a big cash bonus for guys that win day two. You win your group, you win your group A or your group B, you've done something. There needs to be some kind of reward other than bragging rights. In, in my humble opinion, again, we know I don't run the league, but this is you ask a question, so I get to share it, and you're the only one that's asked this year. So now I get to vent and feel better about myself. Yeah, I, I actually think that that's a good idea because I, I do think, you know, one of the one of the downfalls of every fish counts is that there are times where an angler is absolutely not trying. Now, the problem is people don't talk about how much there are, like there are times in five fish competition where guys aren't really trying either. You know, they're going about their day. They're preparing for the next day. They're, well, maybe I'll catch a giant, but, you know. I'm going to get back to weigh in 10 minutes early because why not? You know, I I think that we're not, like, anytime you are fishing for either a pretty firm maximum of weight or you're fishing for a, an event that has zero days, you know, there's going to be a time where anglers kind of stop trying. And... I think that I th I think the win and you're into the championship round was a really good solution for that. Like it does make sure mm -hmm. that you know guys are not going to slack off, or it helps with that. And so, yeah, I, I think that that could become a little bit of an issue again, where you see, you know, let's say it's day two at uh, you know day two at I don't know wherever. Uh, there's a there's a Tennessee River event next year, right? Um, like Pickwick, Gunnersville, Gunnersville, yeah. Day yeah. two at Gunnersville, you know, you could have three guys who have twenty five and a half pounds, right? Twenty four pounds, yeah. And they pretty much know they're locked in. 
Like, they're going on. Right. And they don't need to catch 30 pounds. <laughs> Whereas if it's that scenario and catch every fish you can, you've got five or six guys who have 80 pounds or 90 pounds. Let's go big. And every one of them wants to be able to take a day off. Like, right. I think that that's, it, it's going to be something new to get used to. And it's not new in fishing. It's just new for what we're doing, if that makes sense. One hundred percent. Most people that know that know that I lean toward. I understand the best five, but I lean toward every fish counts. But here's one of the pluses of this, and I've I've never talked about this much on live, but I've seen it a lot. Our guys are so good. Oftentimes, they're finding the same fish and the same groups of fish, and even when we went to the two pound minimum, these lakes they're big, but they have limited areas that have a significant amount of fish. And by the time we've got them there for two days of practice and six days of competition, and we're only letting groups of 40 go at a time, I have still seen by the knockout round and championship around because of every fish counts, this group has completely let the air out of the lake. I mean, they have maximized what that lake can give you and then some. I think now with us going back to the best five, by the time we get to the knockout round and the championship round and the guys know what they've got, real-time scoring will be a big deal. We're going to see more anglers back off fish, and we're probably going to see better fishing in the knockout round and in the championship round on lakes that we stay at for the consecutive six days. I, d I truly do believe that. I didn't realize – how much pressure our group named the lake could put on it when it's every fish counts and even with a two pound minimum, because when this group gets to rolling, they will pummel a lake. And if those fish are actually biting, those fish have got problems for a <laughs> while. So I, I, I do believe we're going to see a little bit, the lakes are going to showcase a little stronger on the knockout round in the championship round because there's going to be more moments where our guys are backing off too. I also believe we're going to start seeing some old traditional lures come back into vogue again too. Um, big fish bites, big fish baits where guys are going, I think we can see a swim bait and have a research and I think a big swim bait. I think we can see a jig. I think we can see a spinner bait. Vibrating jigs always going to be a factor. Um, crankbait, shell ring crankbait is always going to be a factor. But I think we're going to have some moments where guys will go, yeah, let's go try to catch a big one. And that's going to be fun to watch because everybody likes a home run derby. Well, there's going to be moments during our game that we're going to see some guys swinging as if they're in a home run derby. Yeah. I'll be curious, too. What – I know you're not necessarily making the, all the camera switches or everything, but what's your philosophy on – televising five fish or showing live five fish versus every fish because yeah one thing i kind of like about watching five fish live is i feel like it has a little more room to breathe and you get to watch anglers just kind of just fish a little bit more which maybe is boring for some but sometimes i really enjoy where and whereas on the bass pro tour a lot of the time i mean 
It's fish, 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 and they all count, so you got to go to it. Whereas if a guy catches a two-pounder on day, you know, in the championship round uh, on Gunnersville, really that fish doesn't matter, <laughs> you know, right. next year. Right. Yeah, the camera transfers, we've talked about this a little bit in production. It's going to get a little bit harder because we, we're always covering the, the Toro cut line. And a lot of times on the Toro cut line, we can see an angler making a run. In other words, he's caught three or four scoreable fish. Next thing you know, we can sort of predict the trend. I know where he's at on the GPS track, and we can kind of understand the water he's at. We can see that run happening. Now, with our group, everybody's going to be at five. Weights are kind of – then when you make a move, the move's going to be, well, you caught a four-pounder and you got rid of a two-pounder. Then what's the next move? So it's going to be harder to predict. I think our camera transfers just got a little bit harder and us doing as good a job as we've done in the past to figuring out who to cover on that Toro cut line, I think that's going to get a lot harder as well. Uh, I definitely agree with you. It's going to slow the pace down quite a bit. Um, I'm still glad that we're doing catch, weigh, and release. So we we now get to focus on the angler. We get to focus on the lure. We get to focus on the fish. We get to focus on the moment. And we're doing the catch, weigh, and release. And we still get the reaction of that angler moving the bar on the score tracker and then others reaction to that, which I think that's a big deal in the Bass Pro Tour. And we don't have to watch the calling process. And, and, and quite frankly, to me, that's there's a lot of things we do really well, whether it's the best five catch, weigh, and release, or whether it's the best five and we weigh them in. One of, to me, is one of the more painful things to sit there and watch is the calling process. It just, it, it, just, and that's what we do. It's what when I go compete in a local event, that's what I do. When you compete in a local event, that's what you do. When others and everyone else competes in that, that's what we do. Watching it on TV to me, it, it's pretty painful. But there is an art form to that because the guys that are really good at it, they make it effortless. They really do. And then there's guys like myself that boy, it's painful to watch. It absolutely is painful to watch. So I do believe we'll slow the pace down. I think cameras transfers get a little bit harder. I do think big fish, there'll be a bigger premium on that. A guy that has a really good five-fish day will now be rewarded where in every fish counts, he could have a really good five-fish, and that's the only five he caught, and he's kind of forgotten. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I I, I will say I, I like five-fish, I extremely like letting them go. I yes. there's there's a contingent of folks who they want five fish and they want weigh-ins. And me personally, I've been to plenty of weigh-ins. I don't need to ever go to another one. Uh, realistically, I mean I love them, but I don't need to be at them. They take a long time. I hate trucking smallmouth around. I feel terrible about it. And it's just what I've got to do to have a tournament because I I mean honestly I don't. Like, I don't trust my competition to weigh all their fish on the water, right? Like, I want them to be brought back. Right. But if I've got guys with officials, you know, it's a bit of a different ball game, right? Like, that's yeah. a whole separate deal. But yeah, I love not being not having to weigh them. I I love that the Bass Pro Tour they changed the rules and then they said, hey, we're still drop, dropping them right back in the lake because, especially for smallmouth, that's so important. I, I remember you touched on some really good points here, and here I am back on my soapbox. So you're probably going to get me fired after this podcast, and I'm okay with that. But um, 
several points here. The catchway release that we have on the Bass Pro Tour, we're, we're blessed. We're blessed to have that technology. We're blessed to have the manpower and the horsepower to be able to do that, and the fisheries benefit from that. That, that We're very fortunate in that. We also, because we're major league fishing, we run a lot of other events that I participate and others participate, you participate in, that where we do weigh them. So it, it is what it is on that. I, we're all in agreement that the catch, weigh, and release is the best thing, but it's a man, there's a lot of dollars, there's a lot of horsepower to be able to push that. My little bit of aggravation, and I'm like you, weigh-ins, man, we go back to tradition. You know, people, five fish is tradition. No, I can, I can give you tradition. It, it was the 15 and knocked scales off of them. That's tradition. That's where we started at. I remember back in 2001 being in a, a dinner where George Bodenheimer was involved in that. At the time, he was the president of ESPN. And he was talking about, because they had just purchased bass, and he was talking about the sport of bass fishing. And the guy was just brilliant, very, very good conversationalist, very articulate very clear in his thought process. And, and he was looking at a group of us anglers and he said, this is back in 01. He said, you guys are made for the internet, but I don't know how to do it yet. And he said, the, the limitations with bass fishing will always be, you don't have an arena where the masses can come watch you. So I hear now in this day and time, I hear anglers go, man, I missed the weigh-ins. I missed the fan interaction. I get it. I completely get it. Every, our sport is built on us winning fans over one at a time. But we're at a, we're at a transition changing point in our sport as well because I can understand an angler missing the fan interaction. I get that. But what I think our anglers, some, fail to realize is the impact that you're having on live. For instance, most weigh-ins, traditional weigh-ins i'm not talking about the championship events but i'm talking about traditional weigh-ins you're going to be somewhere between 500 and 2,000 people that's who's going to be in a way at least 90 percent of every weigh-in i've ever attended you're looking at 500 to 2,000 people you got to go to some flw tour weigh-ins it's way less (laughs) okay what most people don't realize is in that closing hour and we have the statistics to prove it depends on who's in it Depends on what the time frame is, but we've got somewhere between 15 and 25,000 unique viewers watching that last hour of our guys competing. So you've got 15 to 25,000 people watching each angler through the lens of that camera versus an angler that might get 30 seconds on the weigh-in stage. Let's say they're very articulate and they get a minute and a half. So I can now engage a fan for an average time of 40 minutes in that last hour of the 15 to 25,000, or I can go to my traditional weigh-in and be impactful for a minute 30 on top of the stage and maybe a little bit of a one-on-one time with them. I get missing the fans 100%. This sport is built for the fans. But if we're truly looking at how to be more impactful to the masses, I believe what we're doing at live in the closing moments right now is the vision that George Bodenheimer had in 2001, and we're just now getting there. I don't think enough of our anglers put a big enough value on the fact of those 25,000 people that are watching that in the comfort of their home, their office, their truck, wherever they're watching that, the impact that is made there versus away in. Yeah, and I think that you made a good point early, too, about 
your average regular weigh-in is different than a championship weigh-in. You know, they're like yes. I have. I I guess I've only been to one classic. I've been to a lot of Forestwood Cups, and right. some of those weigh-ins are like truly special. But I've also been to a lot of like just regular season Toyota Series Pro Circuit like regular weigh-ins. Very rarely are they truly special. Mm-hmm. You know, you it might be truly special for one or you know for a kid who goes to it and they get to meet one or two people and like that is actually like a small impact that can have like bigger ripples. So I can see like I can see the argument, but. There's a lot of times where it's like, oh, well, just another way in. <laughs> and, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, there probably, there is room for, there is room for championship weigh-ins, or there probably, there there definitely is. Maybe there should continue to be. Maybe we can find other ways, you know. But for a lot of weigh-ins, like, you don't, I'm kind of with you that you don't need to have all that jazz. No, and, and as an angler, and, and the, the, this sport is driven by fan engagement, and it's also driven by sponsor, uh, their ability to be able to see what angler moves the needle. When Jacob Wheeler is catching fish on whatever event he's winning, he's moving the needle. When Connell is catching fish and winning three events, there at the end, he's win, he's moving the needle. When Kevin Dam Kevin Van Dam wins on Lake Chickamauga in the closing moments, and it's him and Wheeler back and forth. They are moving the needle. Now, the other cool thing about our sport is, is you have access. There's no other sport that has access to athletes like we do. You can go meet and see your favorite angler. There was one period of time that we actually got the weigh-in semi-right. That was back in, and Don Rux was doing this. It was back when we had the Elite 50s. We would start our day somewhere between 10 and 11 in the morning. And, man, there was a lot of pushback on fishermen because it wasn't tradition. And then we would weigh in somewhere between 5.30 and 6.30 in the afternoons. Right now, when we do most of our weigh-ins, it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And there's a large percentage of people, believe it or not, in this country that actually work. So they can't attend it. If they can't attend it, and that's the hours we're going to stick with, then it makes sense, the streaming live, because that person that can't attend it will absolutely plug us in on the device and be able to watch the closing moments, the closing hours of what we are doing streaming live. It kind of, as an angler, I want those impressions. I want to be able to look at my sponsor and go, man, I made the top 10 at XYZ event. And I know in those closing moments, we had 22,000 unique viewers following us for 40 minutes there at the end. And I was a part of that for 45 minutes. That, as a sponsor, makes sense to me yeah i think uh it's definitely like there's room for a lot um but it's definitely man i think the best thing you can do is to let the fish go like the Mm -hmm. if we just long term you know the sport is better off when the resource is like really healthy you know the great days of Kentucky Lake produced like some incredible bass tournaments and there's still a lot of incredible bass tournaments happening, but they're not happening at Kentucky Lake, you know? 
it's right. that's one other thing too where like if we can safeguard the fish you're going to put yourself in a better position i would love to see us as an organization get to the point where we're doing our toyota series championship or where we're doing our all american or whether we're covering a high school or college event and it's the national championship it's their marquee event it's their title event it's their year ending event when we get to the top 10 or top 20 I would love to see us put our officials in the boats with them and then bring the score tracker technology along and catch way and release. And let's gradually start incorporating our technology into levels that are below the Bass Pro Tour. And that way we're, we're exposing more and more people to it. And, and hopefully it becomes more of a norm than something of a novelty for just one tour. Yeah. I was kind of thinking about that the other day when we had, um, you know, we have we have TV cameras show up for to film the final day of the Toyota Series Championship. And man, yep. TV cameras in the boat with a pro and a co-angler, a lot going on. It's like, yep. or out of the boat and like just trying to be alongside them. Because, you know, you got to respect the co-angler too. Like, they... They're there. They're fishing for a boat. Like it's a significant day for them. Like maybe it's uh, maybe it'd be a much better situation to have, let's say, the top twenty-five fish day three, crown a co-angler champion, cut to a top ten, and then roll them out for day four, make it live. We don't need to weigh in fish, or maybe. You weigh in one fish, but weigh everything else in the boat. And, like, really make it that high, make it that high level. Make it that different thing. Because it's, uh, we run too many Toyota Series events, like, to make everyone live or to do that for all of them. Like, we're just running, we're running a tremendous amount of events. Like, there needs to be some streamlined effect to it. But, man, like... right. I think it'd be cool to like try and you know try and pump up these championship type events even more than we do. Completely agree, and I think that's something moving forward. I, I guarantee you this organization. I know with Kathy Fennell and, and Dave Washburn and others that are running this ship, they're always looking you know, how to how to make it better, how to improve it, and this would be one way. You know, you and I are getting to be able to throw out ideas without even being able to look at anything cost analysis and what it takes to be able to do that. But it's something that I think that will a conversation will have because the end goal is how do we protect these fisheries? And, and the more events and the more days that we have on the water where catchway and release is involved, we have a finite number of lakes in this country. And we have, it seems like, a, a growing number of bass fishermen in this country, which that's a great thing. So how are we going to take care of a resource that we're, we're not building any new lakes? And we're doing some really cool things with the fisheries f1s and other things that state and local biologists are doing but we still what are we doing to be good stewards of that and and i think that starts just one good idea at a time and it will all started with our catchway and release that we did on the bash pro tour yeah i i i definitely am curious to see where we go with that going forward because i i really i don't want to see it go away um and I would like to see us be able to do even more tournaments where you can, we can just weigh them and drop them back in. 
but you know it's got to be realistic and just exactly right now at this moment in time it's not super realistic um but man it'd be slick it would be four years ago someone would have told you that the catch wayne release uh format that we were proposing was unrealistic i remember sitting at toho the very first event we had none of us other than chad mckee had ever done live tv jt myself natalie Rob, none of us had really, really done live TV. I was scared out of my ever-loving mind, and we were all hoping the cameras just worked. We, Every one of us in that truck were going, man, I don't know if this is going to work. That's back in 2019. So in the day that we live in to say it can never be done with technology advancing the pace it is, it can be done. It just takes people a lot smarter than probably than you and I to be creative and to be able to pull that off. And then again, is it a cost-effective a way of doing something and then what's the benefits and the benefits would be we're protecting the fishery we're sending a good message and we start small and then continue to grow that and who knows where it leads to in another four or five years but i don't think this catch wave release is going away i think we're going to see more and more states when you bring in bigger events they're going to want that in their fisheries because they do realize that these lakes and these fish are a finite resource yeah, I could see that. I, I think that it does seem like more states are kind of, like, some of them are really leaning into, like, hey, let's have a lot of tournaments. Tournaments are great. We're going to bring them in. And it seems like others are real, are doing that, but they're also realizing that, you know, there's, there is a, like, we can put a tremendous amount of pressure on a fishery honestly probably more than we ever could and that you know most bass like take a pretty long time to get to be a large size uh especially if you're somewhere that doesn't have like 12 months of sun year round like florida right um oh i don't disagree i I don't disagree i mean we're where you live at i mean that is a that is a delicate, and you know this, it's a special resource, but it's a delicate resource. I mean, we have to be careful when we go up there and we're doing the catch, put them in the live well, weigh them and release them because the delayed mortality is a real thing in this sport. So, uh, again, uh, I think all the tournament organizations, especially the big ones, they do a nice job in their space, keep, taking care of them. Everybody's looking for better ways to do it. And, and eventually, hopefully, uh, a lot of the more bigger marquee championship style events, we can get to the, the catch way and release and be able to have score tracker. We have the technology. It's not that. Now, do we have the money and manpower? And I don't know the answer to that question, but I think at some point in time, it will happen. Yeah. Um, we've talked for about an hour and a half now about um, tournaments, and really we've kind of covered a lot of ground. But I want to... One, I've got some stuff that I need to do today, and you probably do too. <laughs> uh, I do too, yeah. But one of the reasons we had you on, I, I had you on was you are starting a new coaching business. Uh, it's called MJS Academy. MartyStone.com is literally the place to go for it. It's that easy. Um, if you can spell Marty and you can spell Stone, you can get there. Um, what? Uh, explain it to me a little bit. 
Man, I, I've always loved to coach. Um, even when I was fishing, I, I love to teach other anglers uh, how, in my way of fishing. And and my son got involved in college baseball, and I, I, all the way through that, I enjoy coaching him and others as well. So coaching's always been a passion. But what this sport was missing that all other sports have is all other sports have individual coaches. They all do, no matter which one it is. And bass fishing really for the most part didn't it's got some guides uh it has some anglers that are starting to take this coaching role but even the best guides the best guides can teach you their lake and they can teach you their individual way of doing things and when you go to an individual angler as a coach they can teach you their style of fishing and and i looked at this i'm like you know i've got this first time in my life i've ever got a separator and what i mean by that there's an outlier I fished at a high level as a professional angler. Big deal. A lot of people have done that. I've been involved with the TV side of that. As an angler, big deal. There's others that have done that as well. I had a pretty nice resume of sponsors back in my day. I always said my sponsors outpaced my ability. I'm not ashamed of that. It probably did, and I'm good with that. There's a few that have that. But where I have no equal, I don't feel like, in my opinion, is the amount of time I have spent really close, 30 to 40 foot away, watching the best in the world as I cover them during all those cups. From 2010 up to this year, I was on the water with these guys every day. And I got to see a lot of trends. I got to see what the best do as far as how they break down water, boat positioning, lure choice, speed and efficiency. One of the things that the TV lens will never show anybody, it's no different than baseball, I'm a big baseball guy. So when you see 97 on the gun and you're watching in your living room and then you see an 89-mile-an-hour slider and both of them go down the middle, people like, why didn't that batter swing? Until you see 897 up close in person or the spin on the slider down and away, you never can fully appreciate it. When you watch these anglers up close in person and see the speed and efficiency that a Wheeler or a Van Dam or an Andy Morgan and the lit – and um, Andy Montgomery, the list just goes on talk. When I get to see the speed and the efficiency that they do their job, now when I work with another angler, I'm not teaching them how Marty Stone would do it. My aspiration for everybody that I work with is they get to a whole lot higher level than I ever got to. So if I'm going to do that, I've got to be able to take everything that I've seen over the years and apply it to how I teach. And, and most anglers, the flaws are this. They don't have a really solid process of how they break down new bodies of water. And then the speed and efficiency in which they fish as they're breaking down water, normally their clock is super slow. And then the accuracy in which they cast and their ability to read water is behind the times as well. My job is what I hope as a coach is I can accelerate their ability to break down new water, read new water, help them develop a process in which to find fish on either their home body of water or bodies of water they're not familiar with, speed up the speed and efficiency in which they fish, and help them identify lures that can make them a better angler that fits their style. I've seen all styles. I've seen Aaron Martins from a drop shot. I've seen Hackney in a crankbait. I've seen some of the best flippers and pitchers of the world. Uh, I've seen Wheeler throw a buzz bait. I've seen pretty much some of the best in the business do it. 
So that's why I started it. Hopefully, and, and now that we see the influx of high school and college anglers and a lot of new people in the sport, there's going to be some coaches that stand out, and I want to be one of those. And as I say on the website, what I'm doing, it's not for everybody. It's not. It's not a guide trip. It's me in the boat with that angler. I'm not fishing. I'm watching. I'm evaluating. I'm teaching. I'm critiquing. There's a full-fledged evaluation form at the end of the day, and it's a constant engaged learning process that I hope is going to be different than anything else. And then my goal is I accelerate some of these anglers and, and allow them to get to a level quicker than they would have ever got to without using it. Have you uh, done some of these trips already? I have. I've had several anglers already, and I've got a lot of inquiries for this coming spring. You know, we're getting into the fall of the year, the early winter time, so time on the water will be limited. And I actually, with some of my friends around home, before I launched this, I put them through the ringer of what it was I was wanting to do to kind of fine-tune it before I built it. The site has been built for almost four years now. The concept has been in my mind for over six. COVID kind of slowed everything down, and then I also realized that, man, I needed to be closer to a body of water, so I sort of held off before I got moved up here. Now I'm right here next to Kerr Lake, and I've got Kerr, I've got Caston, Jordan, Sharon Harris Falls, Mayo. I've got a lot of bodies of water that I can put anglers when they come to me, and we do this. I want anglers to come to me. I want to put them on strange bodies of water and I put them through this pace. I've got a lot of waters that we can choose from. So I feel like me as a coach would be a lot more effective and efficient as well, too. And this is an addition to what I'm doing. My primary job is still color analyst and, and director of research um, for new bodies of water at Major League Fishing. And this is kind of a little side gig that I hope takes off. And right now, the response has been pretty positive. I'm enjoying it. Um, In these little in these first couple that you've done, do you feel like you've learned anything in particular, like either from the anglers or just about sort of what your coaching and teaching method needs to be? Yeah, that's another great question, Jody. I think some of the biggest things that jumps out to me is with all the information that we have out there right now about fishing, there's no one really teaching the fundamentals of how to break down a body of water because that's a hard thing to do. You can talk about a lure, you can talk about a technique, you can talk about how you use it, you can talk about line, rod, reels, equipment, things like that. That's pretty easy to give that kind of response. But when you talk, start talking about concepts of how to break down a body of water, how to put an angle on the clock as he's practicing, uh, my philosophy on an area versus a pattern that I've seen time and time again, 95% of every national event is one in an area and not a pattern. The pattern is one of the buzzwords that I hate the most uh, when I start talking about lunar tables and how to apply that to the fishing whether it's practice or an actual tournament day we start talking about seasonal patterns on particular bodies of water that you're going to need to use to be able to break it down when I get to watch XYZ angler actually cast and be able to give a grade and then I get to see them with their boat positioning how close or how far away from there from the cover all of what I'm talking about is not taught to the masses. There's nowhere on social media that you can find that, talk about it, and then real time be able to relay it. So we have some holes. As good as technology, social media, and everything is, and all the information out there right now, 
most every angler can catch a fish. That's not the issue. Where the, the, the failing point is of so many anglers that limits what level they can get to is the speed and efficiency in which they can break down water, have a process to do that, and be able to do that under a competitive situation. And then how to change when things change. Uh, our guys that we watch on the Bass Pro Tour and that we got to see last year on the Tackle Warehouse Pro Circuit, they're the best in the business. I mean, our guys, they practice two days, and by the time we get the championship day, they've been on a body of water for eight days. You and I both know as fishermen how many changes they had to make to not only get to the finals, but to be able to win in an event like that. Things like that are not being taught to the masses, to anglers, I don't believe. Okay. That, I mean, I definitely, it all makes sense. And I do think that, I think one of the things, maybe the Bass Pro Tour format has sort of shown this a little bit better than other, than five fish, but I think that a lot of anglers don't understand how much better the pros are than they are. Right. And <laughs> I like I I think I, I, I suspect that you can get people on the fast track to making like those improvements more than, you know, watching live or more than doing any other number of things can because like the guys who are truly exceptional right now are I mean that I I believe that they're like a long way ahead of you know 95% of your BFL anglers (laughs) Uh, I think your number's a little low I, I, when we look at, we talk about the cream of our crop. I think your number is actually a little bit low. The speed and efficiency that I've got to see over the years, from 2010 up to the last year, when I'm watching these anglers, you know, we're in a cup, they're in a strange boat, they're on a new body of water they've never been to. They get a 30 minute ride through, and they got to figure it out. And the best ones just keep winning and keep winning and keep winning. And there's a reason they keep winning. And then, you know, you and I are in other anglers as well. We can go out to our favorite bodies of waters and we can go through the paces. We have nobody there to critique us and tell us what we're doing looks like versus what my really good anglers in the Bass Pro Tour are doing. And as I evaluate, my evaluation is about a 50-question or 50-point evaluation with scales of 1 to 10. And I tell each one of my students – don't be shocked when you're seeing low scores, when you're seeing twos and threes and even ones, because what I'm evaluating them against is the best in the business. I know only if I was to grade Kevin or Jacob or Jordan or Michael on my evaluation form, I know I would have a lot of sevens and hires. So when I'm evaluating anglers that are on lower levels, I've got to be brutally honest because that's what I'm evaluating against. So when I'm giving out twos and threes and suggestions how to get there, that's never been done. And if it's been done, then I would look at the other coaches and go, how are you evaluating? Because, again, I don't have many claims to fame in life. And this is a small one, and it was something that I've been blessed to do. I know what good looks like because I've been able to be on the water with it now for the last 10 or 11 years. Yeah. What do you think, uh, 
you're either like maybe biggest or most common like what's going to be the main flaw that you see uh from folks yeah not having a clue how to break down new water they they just don't they and what they don't realize the masses don't realize like when our group goes to rape and they've got two days of practice i would say the majority of the upper echelon of our field in two days will see 80 percent of rape it's not random in how they break down water they have a process they have a system they have something that's tried and true time and time again when you go to your local water you've got your favorite places that you continue to go to time and time again. And if it works, great. And if it doesn't, oh, well. When I dump you in a strange body of water and say, go, here's your zone. I want to watch you break it down. Most of the time, that's the biggest flaw. The second part of that equation is um, not understanding seasonal movements of bait, fish, and bass. And then the third and a very, very important thing is casting accuracy or lack thereof. And also boat positioning. I would say out of those three things, those are the three things that I'm constantly cleaning up the most. All right. Well, Marty, I have had a great time as always on this, and uh, we're gonna continue to do this more because I really like talking fishing with you. Um, what? I guess we ran over where to find it, MartyStone.com. Is there anything else uh, you want to plug or let rip while you're here? No, man, I, I, like you, I have a great time. I, I enjoy these moments where we get to spend time. keeps me sharp, gets to talk about bass fishing. We probably shared way too many opinions, and that's what it is. And we, what do we do? We put the preference. Our, our opinions and thoughts are not necessarily the opinions and thoughts of the organization. Is that our disclaimer? But um, I, man, I don't put it in there, but I think people know that. <laughs> <laughs> but we have a great time. Um, I just, I love what we do. We're very fortunate. We're, we're going through some changes. I really like, I mean, do not get me wrong. I think um, the things that we've done as an organization, some of them are going to be a little hard for some to swallow, but I think long-term we're heading in the right direction. We're doing some really good things. And I think the 2023 season is going to be another incredible season. We're going to see some things we didn't think was possible. We're going to have some anglers come out of nowhere i think we've got a really strong rookie class i'm already anxious to start covering the invitationals and seeing who's going to be that next group that's heading to the bass pro tour and then the youth movement it's alive and well and real and it makes me feel older every day but man it really makes me appreciate the talent that we're watching time and time again i just think it's a great time to be in and around the sport of bass fishing I like it. Well, uh, Marty, thanks for coming on as always, and uh, pleasure talking with you. Thanks, Jody. Have a good day.